You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Tom Stubbs, the CEO of uh, Chronomics, C-H-R-O-N-O-M-I-C-S.com. We're going to be talking about uh, epigenetic testing uh, to show how your lifestyle and environment affect your DNA and give you tools to uh, become healthier and to help yourself, which is super interesting. So, Tom, thanks for coming. No, thank you for, thank you for having me on the show, Richard, and pleasure, pleasure to be here. I don't know if a lot of people know, but what are epigenetics? I know people think about DNA and their genes, but uh, tell me a little bit about epigenetics. What is that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question when we, when we actually get a lot. So genetics, uh, as many of us are familiar with, is that information that we get from our parents and is ruling over us from birth, uh, governing whether we're going to have, for instance, blue eyes or curly hair or be at risk for certain inherited genetic diseases. But there are also people on the planet that share the exact same genetic material. So, I, and the question is, how does this happen? And the answer is epigenetics, which is the science of how your DNA is controlled and how it's affected by environment and lifestyle. So from birth, factors such as smoking, sleep and stress are affecting our epigenetics and dictating the tracks that our life is heading down. And what's exciting is that unlike that genetic information that's fixed from birth, epigenetics is dynamic which means that if we find out about these things early enough, we can change tracks to avoid future ill health. Yeah, so I was wondering, so epigenetics is, uh, changes the, gene, the expression of our genes, and I've heard of uh, what's called methylation and acetylation. So can you talk about a little bit about epigenetics, what's actually happening to our genes and uh, maybe a couple of the ways that it happens? Yeah, absolutely. So epigenetics is really a catch-all term for a, for a whole host of uh, epigenetic mechanisms that we have in our in our cells, uh, and as you as you rightly said, these epigenetic mechanisms are there to ensure that within specific cell types throughout our body, specific sets of genes are expressed and others are silenced, uh, and that really is responsible for defining the cell types that make us up. So, if we didn't have epigenetics, we'd be nothing more than a blob of cells in a dish, if you like. Uh, in terms of different epigenetic mechanisms, as I mentioned, you, you correctly said uh, there's, there's different types. So there's things such as DNA methylation, which is the archetypal epigenetic modification uh, that in mammals is found on DNA when there's a C base or a C letter followed by a, a G base or G letter. Uh, and this methylation uh, historically has been associated with the silencing of genes uh, although we're now starting to understand that its its function is much more complex than that. 
And this is actually the epigenetic modification that we use at Chronomics to define our epigenetic indicators for different environment and lifestyle components. In addition to that, there are modifications um, on histone marks. So histones are proteins that your DNA is wrapped around. And these histone proteins have tails. And these tails can be what we call post-translationally modified. So they can have different chemical chemical tags placed on them. Uh, And these tags have diverse sets of functions. Uh, Some of the modifications on these tags are also associated directly with DNA methylation levels. So the whole whole thing is working together. Uh, And then there are other types of modification uh, and other types of mechanisms. For instance, uh, looking at different types of RNA that are responsible for um, making sure that even even if a gene is expressed, it cannot go on to make, for instance, proteins that then power the cell. Uh, So there's, there's this whole host of mechanisms that are working in concert to ensure that our cells are functioning properly uh, and that we're staying healthy. And it's happening all of the time. So epigenetics appears to be the adaptation of our master template, our DNA, that's affected by the exercise, the food we eat, the environmental conditions. It's always changing us and adapting us to our conditions throughout our lifespan. Yeah, absolutely. So within different parts of our bodies we need to adapt in different ways uh and there are numerous examples now of how epigenetics is enabling that adaptation whether it be looking at uh for instance different muscle cell types and looking at how they respond uh following um exercise regimes over prolonged periods of time uh or whether that be um perhaps in less um less positive settings where For instance, exposures can influence us um, in a potentially negative manner. For instance, um, upon smoke exposure, where we get epigenetic changes that are associated with um, changes in gene expression and increased risk of developing things such as lung cancer and heart disease. So there's really a whole host of adaptation that our bodies try to do, and that adaptation is essentially maintained using epigenetic mechanisms. But there are also many instances where where epigenetics is actually being affected by by negative environmental uh, and lifestyle influences as well. So how do you, you know, people are familiar with blood tests, obviously, and looking at iron levels and, you know, vitamin D, et cetera. How do you look at methylation or acetylation or the state of someone's epigenetic profile? And how do you look at it over time and see changes? Yeah, great, great question. So the way the way we do it at Chronomics is we our customers send um, by their Chronomics test, we send them a saliva testing kit that they can provide their sample in the comfort of their, their own home. They then send that back in a prepaid uh, envelope to our labs. We then extract uh, DNA from those samples, and importantly, we then are able to modify that DNA sample so that we can look at these epigenetic marks on DNA, these DNA methylation marks that, that we mentioned earlier. And, and then we create what we call a library, but essentially a way for us to, to read and, and see that information. Uh, and then we sequence it. And what we get back is a whole bunch of uh, epigenetic information on millions of positions throughout the genome. 
And this information we then use and process through our uh, custom pipelines and algorithms uh, and machine learning workflows to define these epigenetic insights on an online platform and interface that our customers can then engage with to understand more about how environment and lifestyle is affecting their health and also to engage with a health team to improve their health over time should they wish. So what have you seen from the people that you've um, you've profiled? What, what jumps out at you when you do one profiling? What things can you see that are affecting you epigenetically? Yeah, great question. So it really really depends on on the person, their lifestyle, um, and the environment that they're in. Uh, to give to give some examples of some some interesting situations we've had, we've had some people come in who've never smoked in their lives uh, and are actually even athletes, you know, and they they come in, they provide the epigenetic sample and and what we see is that actually they have really elevated smoke exposure levels and and you start to think okay how could this be they're they're an athlete they're they're training a lot they're working working out they're very conscious of their their environment and lifestyle and what it turned out in some of these cases is that actually because of the environment that they were performing in they were getting exposed to really high levels of smoke exposure uh, and this has made them now much more conscious of the environment in which they're engaging in and much more observant of, of what's affecting them around them. Uh, in the same token, we've also had people who have had uh, severely elevated biological ages. So biological age, as measured by epigenetics, is the, the gold standard for understanding whether you're at risk of age-related diseases and also uh, all-cause mortality. and from that measure, you can then dive down to try and understand why you have such an elevated biological age, for instance. Uh, and what we've seen in, in many people, actually, um, particularly here in London, is that a, a large amount of that, that increased or elevated um, biological age relative to chronological age is, is due to mental health factors. So things like stress, uh, like anxiety, Starting to starting to affect um, these people at a at a biological level, at a molecular level, at, at that DNA level, uh, and that's been really interesting to to see and be able to work with those people through our health teams on how to enable them to improve their health um, while still enjoying what they enjoy and working at the level that they want to work. So what? So you'll get information on somebody, or they'll get their information. What can they do about it? How do you have any sense of how hard it is to change yourself epigenetically? You know, if someone is exposed to a lot of smoke for some reason, or they're predisposed yeah. to having a hard time with it, how do they undo it? You know, epigenetic changes do not, well, some are permanent, some are not, I would guess. I don't know if we know which ones are, but how do we modulate any of this? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. So what we do know is that uh, through through a number of academic studies that have been done is that it is possible to to modify uh, epigenetic signatures, if you like, over time. So studies have been conducted, for instance, looking at exercise, uh, looking at smoke, looking at different types of surgical intervention, looking at um, other types of mental well-being sort of interventions. And what people have seen is that over time periods, even as short as uh, three months, you can observe epigenetic changes or shifts. Uh, as you As you mentioned, there are epigenetics 
is essentially providing that adaptation to to your environment and lifestyle to an extent and and it's also can be thought of as as a cellular memory so providing some sort of insight about where what your body has been through up to a given point and that's that's why it's so that's why it's possible to look so accurately at for instance biological age um, in addition looking at smoke exposure and and as you rightly say there are some instances where it's not possible to reverse all of the the epigenetic signature of a factor that has happened but it is possible to reverse a large proportion of it so to give one example somebody who has a, a high ex- a smoke exposure score who then for instance who was a smoker who then quits would see that score reverse but they would be unlikely to ever see it get back to to the starting point to zero as if they'd never had any exposure at all uh but the extent of this reversibility versus not really depends on on the indicator you're looking at and also the magnitude of the intervention that somebody is is undertaking as well so uh, again do you have any uh, anecdotal evidence um you know personally for yourself I'm, I'm sure you've looked at your epigenetics have you done any experiments self experimentation to see if you can change your expression and over what time period or do you have a cohort or a group of people that you know uh, that are using the program and and really active in it and try to do things and change it. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, anecdotally, we've got we've got a number of customers who who were smokers and then having taken the test, they they have then quit, having finally for the first time been able to actually see the impact that the habit was having on their on their health today. Um, and and those people are now coming up to to second test in the very near future. We're excited to see how quitting smoking has impacted that smoke exposure score. On a more on a more personal level, uh, I have now taken two uh, epigenetic tests and have made uh, certain lifestyle interventions in in the intervening period and have indeed seen uh, in the case of for instance biological age a, a concomitant reduction in my biological age score, um, which has been pretty pretty exciting. Uh, and we're looking forward now to starting more and more of these these projects, these these collaborations, and also engaging more customers in behavioral change to to improve their health through epigenetics. Oh, okay. So you can look and see if someone's been exposed to smoke. What other things can you show them? What are some of the things that people can uh, find out about themselves? Yeah, so one, I guess another interesting, interesting thing that we've we've come across is in relation to athletes. So there are a number of athletes who, uh, well, we have a number of different athletes within 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 Chronomics as as customers. Uh, and when you break those athletes down, what you see is that when it comes to endurance athletes, these athletes have uh, typically very low metabolic state scores. So your metabolic state score uh, as measured through epigenetics is looking at really your your overall metabolic risk, combining things like diet, nutrition, exercise, metabolic rate, and genetic predispositions to give you a measure of how how your metabolism is playing out at an epigenetic level. Uh, And what you see is that these endurance athletes have a very low uh, metabolic risk. And in contrast, you have a number of athletes uh, that would fall into potentially being classed as classically obese, uh, who actually, although they have an elevated metabolic 
score relative to endurance athletes actually still appear healthy epigenetically, which is which is really exciting for us because it's showing that even though it is true that they are still at elevated metabolic risk relative to these endurance athletes, they're far from being obese in the in the classical sense. And in addition, one one surprising finding, or maybe not surprising, but but it was to me anyway, was that these endurance athletes who are incredibly healthy, um, incredibly well well trained, and uh, and have a properly optimized diets for the exercise and the sports that they're undertaking, tend to also have accelerated epigenetic aging. Uh, we don't fully understand why at this moment in time, but one one hypothesis is that this is likely due to the extent of the the training regimens that they're they're conducting on on themselves um, in order to be fun- functioning and performing at that level. Um, so that's that's just another another taste of um, of an example where where we've been looking at specific epigenetic profiles uh, and seen seen some interesting insights. But what does that mean? You're aging epigenetically. What kind of factors change to show you that? Uh... You know, someone's aging prematurely or aging actively. Yeah, so, so as we uh, were mentioning at the start, so epigenetics can be used and is used as the gold standard for biological age measurement that we have today. So some of your listeners, listeners may may be familiar with telomere length measurements uh, and things of that nature, uh, which look at the ends of your DNA. In the case of epigenetics, uh, relative to telomere length measurements, these measurements are, are much more accurate. And in addition to that, they're measuring a whole range of molecular functions that are occurring throughout your genome that, that telomere measurements really, really can't get at. And, and as we said at the start, acronomics, we're looking specifically at DNA methylation. And this modification and changes to this modification that occur over time are, are incredibly informative for not just chronological age, how old you are, but biological age, how healthy you are on the inside. And, and so we're using measures like this to give people insight into their risk for age-related diseases. And as mentioned, with um, some of the people in London suffering with high levels of, of stress, what they can do in order to reduce those factors that are affecting their biological age and improve their health over time. Well, so what are some of the, is there anything new in terms of prescriptions? You know, not literal prescriptions, but, you know, sleep better get exercise, eat better, et cetera. I mean, again, you're in front of data that very few people in the world can see. So yeah. what kind of trends or interesting things or modulators of, of people's epigenetic status have you seen to be effective? Yeah, so what's, I guess there's, there's a couple of things here. Uh, the first is that when it comes to what people should do in their everyday life in order to, to live healthier, I know from my experience is often quite quite intimidating the range of things that you can take up in order to to live a healthier life. I mean, you've mentioned some there. There's a whole host of others, uh, often some that may or may not conflict with each other uh, in terms of recommendations. And and to me, where where epigenetics, uh, genomics, and the whole field in general really excels is that it enables you at a personal level to see what things are going to move the needle most for you. So you don't have to worry about changing all of these various possibilities. You can focus on the thing that's most informative for your health today. In addition to that, as you mentioned, there's, there's, a, there's a whole range um, 
of different interventions that are that are possible. Some, as you mentioned, driven uh, by things such as uh, working on uh, on sleep, uh, working on exercise, working on diet, and and with these large data sets, you can also drill down deeper deeper than that uh, to specific constituents or components of of those different areas that you're you're mentioning. And you can also then see within the data um, the different uh, genetic gene sets, if you like, that are that are affected by by those different changes that you're looking to make. So it's really really an exciting time because we've never had such levels of information about about you and, and your health. Yeah, I've been interested for ever since I learned about epigenetics in um, what can meditation do on a very very short term. You know, if um if I was able to look at your epigenetics, you know, take your blood and then have you meditate for 30 minutes, let's say, and then draw your blood again, what differences would I see epigenetically? I don't know if you've ever tried to conduct tests like that or, you know, do that before and after exercise or before and after, um, you know, taking a really strenuous test or, you know, I mean, in the very, very short term, I would think it might be interesting for you to try to characterize if there are any super short-term epigenetic changes, you know, within minutes, within hours. Yeah, definitely. So I guess just a bit on on my background. So I, prior to, to founding Chronomics, worked in research at the University of Cambridge on defining new mechanisms and methods for, for assessing epigenetics from a, a wet lab perspective and also from a computational perspective, uh, and which is where where this chronomics was then born from, looking at how epigenetic predictors of lifestyle factors on aging can be informative for uh, for personalized and proactive health management. And and just to go back to um, yeah to what, what you're saying about epigenetic changes and how quickly they can occur. So uh, lots of the work I did when I was in the lab were looking at uh, shorter term changes um, to, to cells in a dish. And these could be stem cells, which if you change the media, so the, the liquid, if you like, that the cells were grown in, you could affect epigenetic marks in the space of, of minutes to hours. Uh, and, and what we know is that, uh, for instance, when people make what are called induced pluripotent stem cells, so embryonic-like cells from adult tissues, for instance, skin, you can see huge epigenetic changes in the space of tens of days uh, and even shorter. And, and in those settings, you can radically alter measures that we look at, for instance, epigenetic age in, in a manner of days. You can go from an adult skin cell that, or skin cells or saliva that had an epigenetic age of 70, let's say, 70 years old, and, and reprogram them so that they have an age of, of zero or even less than zero in, in tens of days. When it comes to these are obviously cells in a dish, not, not humans uh, and human bodies made up of trillions of cells. But the fact still holds that it is possible to see epigenetic changes within cells over very short periods of time due to a range of factors. And as you correctly say, you could look at, for instance, exercise or you could look at meditation and look for specific changes at specific promoters and things of that nature to understand within specific cell types how is the epigenome changing in response to these things? And there are a number of uh, publications and a number of scientists working working on those those aspects. And it's it's super interesting the 
the short term changes that can then start to manifest as longer term changes if done um, on a on a rigorous basis, let's say. What we at Chronomics look at, we're we're more interested. So as I said, we look at saliva, we use saliva as our as our proxy for, for understanding epigenetics. And we're really interested in understanding long-term changes from this peripheral sampling source that can give us insight into how different environment and lifestyle factors, they could be internal factors, as you said, linked to linked to mental health that could be manifesting uh, in epigenetic changes in saliva, uh, and also external factors. So it could be due to pollution, uh, could be due to alcohol, for instance, uh, and how these things are also affecting our epigenome and what we can understand in order to live live healthier from that information. Well, do you have any specifics that you've seen? You know, from the work that you do and the data that you're looking at, is there any any personal projects that you're working on? Any changes that you want to make specifically to yourself? And have you done little science experiments on yourself? Or, you know, again, in looking at data, have you seen any macro trends in people that that aren't obvious to people that don't collect this data? Yeah. Okay. So, so just I guess another another interesting thing uh, that we have seen, uh, which again goes back to uh, in this case, to, to the biological age model, but, but we could also look at uh, similar processes or, or similar insights for the other indicators that we look at. But if we take biological age as an example, what you see when you look at biological age and you look at the, the specific positions or epigenetic marks, so these DNA methylation marks on DNA, on your DNA, sorry, that are informative for biological age, from an epigenetics perspective, well, there's a, there's a couple of things, actually. The, the first is that epigenetic changes with age happen both ways. So there are some positions or epigenetic marks on DNA that gain methylation with age, and there are others that lose methylation with age. Uh, whereas, I guess, many people think that uh, with age, only one or the other would happen. And actually, what you see is both happen. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that actually, if you look at the types of genes near these epigenetic marks that are affected by the aging process, they tend to be uh, in genes that are associated with development. And that, for, for lots of people, is quite counterintuitive because it's kind of how, how can genes or, or epigenetic marks neighboring developmental related genes so that are, they're important for enabling us to grow, how are they then the ones that are most enriched for things that are changing epigenetically with age? And there's a number of active hypotheses now for, for why this could be happening. Um, and one, I guess, one, one hypothesis that abounds is due to the pleiotropy of these genes. So the fact that, yes, these genes function one way during development, but actually once you're fully formed, they could, they could then be malfunctioning, if you like. So not necessarily, um, yeah, not functioning in an aberrant manner as we age, uh, even though those genes were initially uh, controlled and useful during development. So I think one thing that's exciting is that now that we have this level of detail, you can actually start to dive down and understand the mechanisms of processes such as aging, such as metabolism as we age as well, and how for instance, things such as obesity and the changes epigenetically, how those things are putting us at risk for 
diseases such as type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome as as we progress progress through life. Um, the second category kind of under that, when you look at age-related gene, gene categories, if you like, uh, are then genes associated with uh, metabolism, which, which is also uh, interesting in the sense that how, how is it that biological age is so tightly coupled to, to your metabolic processes? And, and again, we don't, we don't fully yet understand this, but one thing that is really interesting is that when you look at stem cells, so cells that can go on to become different things, and particularly when you look at embryonic stem cells, so cells that can really become almost any tissue or cell type that they wish, they have very different metabolism to, to for instance, differentiated cells. And, and so perhaps another aspect of this aging process is this shift potentially either to a more, more stem-like uh, phenotype or, or manifestation uh, or a more differentiated one. Uh, and the answer is we truly, we don't understand yet fully how, how these different gene sets are linked to aging um, and what, what function they're playing in the process. Have you, has there been any longitudinal study of a person epigenetically on how they have changed over the years? Even an animal looked at, you know, as it ages, maybe a rat that only lives a few years, you know, epigenetically, what its profile looks like. You know, if you follow a cohort of, you know, a thousand rats and profile them every month epigenetically, you know, how are they moving through life? And, you know, what, what do they seem to experience? Is there any, uh, any common epigenetic set of changes that happens to them? Yeah, great, great question. So, yes, there have been epigenetic longitudinal studies done in humans uh, and also in mice and other other organisms as well. Um, in the case of humans, as I mentioned, there have been epigenetic intervention studies looking at, for instance, exercise, smoking, and, and certain surgical um, surgical treatments as well. Uh, if we take mice, just to mix it up a bit, I guess. Um, in the case of mice, as you say, they, they live a lot shorter. Uh, but what's exciting is that even though they live for a, a far shorter period of time, it's actually still possible to predict biological age using epigenetics in these, in these animals. So if you look at a mouse, it can typically live three to four years. And uh, we and others have shown that you can predict epigenetic age for a mouse within a couple of weeks. So the percentage error in that age prediction uh, in mouse is actually equivalent to that found in human. And, and what's interesting is, as you say, for instance, if you take a mouse system, uh, one, you can get genetically identical strains. So you can, you can study the aging process in the absence of genetic variation, which is, is useful for looking at uh, things that are happening uh, longitudinally uh, in decent decent sample sizes without having that additional confounder of, of genetic differences. Uh, and so there have been a number of interventions that have been looked at in mice over the years, looking at epigenetics, uh, some of which uh, are known interventions that increase lifespan significantly. So one, for instance, is caloric restriction. So this is where you reduce the amount of uh, calories in, in a given day that that a human or, for instance, a mouse um, has. And this is known to have, this caloric restriction is known to have um, benefits for, for lifespan and also, also health span with it. 
Uh, and in the case of mice, this can be for significantly long, longer proportions of their overall lifespan having not been on caloric restriction. Uh, less certainty is around that situation in humans because these studies haven't been uh, obviously have different different parameters. They have to be voluntary. They haven't been followed up for significantly long periods of time yet, uh, but they are being being conducted. And and what you find is that if you take mice and you have some that are uh, these are genetically identical mice, and you have some that are calorically restricted, others that aren't, and you you let them get to you know they can get to kind of eight weeks old, twenty weeks old, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And what you see is that actually mice that were have been under a regimen of caloric restriction look far younger epigenetically than their counterpart mice that have been allowed to eat as much and as often as they like. And and this is one type of intervention. You see this for many, many different types of intervention as well. And to me what's what's really exciting about about these findings uh, in the mouse and actually then extrapolating to the human situation is that in a mouse, when we're talking about caloric restriction, you can already see which mice are going to live longer at the age of eight to 10 weeks. And to put that into human years, that's kind of by, um, by, by the time they're 20, 25, you can start to see, okay, under caloric restriction, these mice are epigenetically younger than these mice and are going to go on to to live uh, to older age and and be healthier during that period. And where that gets interesting is that then when we put that into a human context, when we're looking at longevity and we're looking at ways to try and extend lifespan, it's obviously incredibly expensive and inefficient to, to instigate an intervention and also incredibly irresponsible to instigate an intervention, not knowing for the next 50, 60 years what effect that's going to have and for them to wait until people start to die in the different groups to understand whether that intervention was beneficial or not. And where epigenetics can come in is that it can provide that biomarker of the trajectory that things are heading down far earlier than you could do traditionally by waiting until disease outcomes or, or death uh, follow in those human studies. And so we're, we're really excited about the potential for epigenetics not just for biological age, but also for these other epigenetic indicators, some of which I've mentioned today, to to really give people insight into and to give us as a as populations, as researchers, as scientists, insight into how to ensure people age healthily. And and I'm really excited to see where where the future takes the field of longevity uh, and and with it uh, health spans for humans. Okay, very good. Do you have any um, <clears throat> programs or levels uh, for people to uh, sign up for chronomics to uh, you know to evaluate themselves and how often and to what detail? Yeah, absolutely. So as part of as part of the Future Tech podcast, we are giving a one time discount to to listeners so that they can experience getting their their epigenome sequence. Uh, in terms of our our current customers. Most of them do yearly epigenetic testing. We also have some that do quarterly and six monthly, but we, we typically recommend yearly testing. And I will share that code with you, Richard, at the end of the podcast, and you can uh, send it out with the, the podcast. Yeah, and I know you're probably not able to provide advice, but 
what are you able to share with people? So they get their epigenetics done. They either think, oh, I'm doomed or so far I'm okay. Or, you know, what can they do again to change their lot in life? Is it a lot? Can it be changed? You know, what, again, what someone gets their test, what do you do with them then? Yeah. So I think the first thing to say here is that there is no bad results. You know, epigenetics is just a measure of, of where you're at today. And as I said, it's, it's dynamic, it's, it's actionable. Uh, it's not like genetic that's genetics that's fixed from birth and you, you can't do anything about inherently. Uh, it's, it's modifiable and you're, you're in control of how it plays out. In terms of advice, so we don't uh, specifically give advice uh, as a company ourselves, but what we do do is we provide every single customer with their own health team, which consists of doctors, nutritionists, health coaches, and epigenetic scientists for them to be able to dive into the science more, for them to be able to make changes with the security of knowing that a doctor agrees with the changes that they're going to be making to their lifestyle, independent of what chronic illnesses or diseases or conditions they may be um, suffering from, um, and also health coaches to, to help them make those, those next steps, uh, and same for nutritionists. So you definitely don't just get your results and get left there. You get your results and you get the support that you need in order to turn the unseen into actionable steps to improve your health. Okay, very good. Well, Tom, thanks for coming on the podcast. And again, in the show notes, we're going to put the, uh, the code for listeners. So appreciate you being here. Awesome. Thank you again for, for having me, Richard. And uh, great to meet everyone. And please get involved with epigenetic testing. And we'd also love, love to hear from anyone if they have any, any other questions as well. All right, great. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.